0: Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. You know, the Lord reminded me this morning in my reading of how much we need each other. He said we're supposed to build each other up. So I'm grateful that you came this morning. You came uh To be with us as family, we need each other to be encouraging each other, building each other up. And if you're watching from home uh, and you're part of HCC Body, we just want you to know that we miss you and uh, look forward to that time when when we all feel um, free to be back. There are good reasons why people might not be here, but we just want you to know we miss you and we're glad you joined us today. Today, I hope you came expecting to hear a good word from God. I want to talk today about God's promises, the the promises of hope, some promises of hope. You know, when I started to prepare my message, I just kept thinking, oh, this person, this person. And... um Uh, to try to limit it to a few verses to share was actually pretty difficult. And do you know, back when the stay-at-home order started in March, I wrote a six-week study on hope, and some of you joined me online for that. If you want a boost to um, get a hold of hope more in your life, you can always access those studies. They're still online at our website, something you can do your own at home. So here again, um, I am advertising Taiwan. (laughs) Look at this beautiful picture. If you can see these mountains, um, just gorgeous. From our home, this was 30 minutes, and we could go on these great hikes. And I like this picture because I like that swinging bridge. I think it's kind of cool to go on those swinging bridges. I felt totally safe because there's a rail on both sides, but I could stand in the middle, and I could look around me in every direction. I could look up and I could look down. Every direction I looked was just glorious. I mean, it's just incredibly beautiful. The majesty of God is so amazing. And you know, our God, he brought all of that into existence with just a word. Now, does that tell you how powerful God's word is? And so I'm glad you're here this morning. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer, okay? Father, thank you for letting us be together this morning. Thank you that we know that when we get together, you're right here with us. I'm so grateful that we belong to you. The King of Kings calls us his own. What more hope do we need Lord, we thank you that you are the God of hope, and I pray that this morning, Lord, you would encourage each of our hearts, as we're in a really uncertain time, there may be reasons that we have in our lives that are causing fear, but Lord, we know there is more reason to hope, because you sit on the throne. So God, please today, speak through your word in specific ways. To our hearts in Jesus name amen okay not quite ready to go into that one so um, when I talk about promises we're going to look at the relationship God has with us as a promise making promise keeping God and I want us to get stuck on that. I want to share with you today just some things that God has taught me in my journey about how to fight for hope. There have been many chapters, we all have chapters in our life, and as I look back, I see some chapters that were bad. I don't ever want to do that again. Right? And some chapters where I just really struggled with depression. I'll just be honest. And I feel like God has taught me through my journey how to fight. We have to fight for hope. And that's by getting a hold of God's promises and making them ours. So the next picture, this is a a picture of a tunnel. Now, on these hikes that we would go on in Taiwan, often we'd have to walk through tunnels. And most of them were short. Like when we step into the tunnel, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Those tunnels are Okay. Actually, they're cool. It's a lot cooler in there, and that's okay. But there's this tunnel. that probably took us 20 minutes to walk through. About when we start in it, there's no way I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And getting about 10 minutes in, I'm starting to feel a little antsy, like a little uncomfortable because I still can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I have a flashlight, our little cell phone flashlight. It's only letting me see a couple steps ahead. It's not very bright in that deep darkness. And I am uncomfortable in a place like that. It's like, I want to get to where I can see the light. And have you ever felt that way in life? Like the place where you are is feels dark and can't see what's ahead. Probably in some measure, we might all feel that way because of the uncertainty. You know, used to be in our lives we could say, hey, I'm going to plan a trip at Thanksgiving. And now we say, well, maybe and maybe not. I thought I was going to be back in Taiwan by March, but obviously I'm not. You know, we're in a state of uncertainty where we really can't make plans. And that's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? And in my life, um, yeah, I don't like that place. I want to see what's coming. I want to see what's ahead of me. That's why God gives us so many reasons for hope. The Bible is saturated with hope. And so a biblical definition of hope is the confident expectation that God will do what He's promised. Now, the first two words of that are extremely important. Confident expectation. That means I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can't talk me out of it. I am absolutely certain, and I am expecting God to do what he said he would do. That's that's what hope is. So Paul shows us a great prayer at the end of Romans, He says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in your faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. I like that translation. Some of the translations say that you may abound in hope. That's also a very good word picture. And it made me think of HCC, of our vision statement. Who knows our vision statement? You guys know it, right? You know why we're here? <laughs> our vision statement says, building hope in Harrisonville, one family at a time. That tells me that we want to be a hopeful people. We want to be a church that's spreading hope. And, and yet we're, each of us, in our own Unique um, places of stress and pressure where maybe we need to fight for hope so that we have hope to share. Well, this is one promise you can pray. You can say, God, you are the God of hope, so fill me with your joy and peace. I don't want to be overcome by the negative. I want your joy and peace as I trust in you so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's important, we have something other people don't have. If you belong to Christ, you, can't, you don't have to try to manufacture hope. It is a result of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. What a gift. So that we can live a life that our outlook and our perspective on life is radiant with hope. That's what, how we want people to know us and to describe us. Well, first of all, we have to know what is our source of hope, right? Right? And I know you guys all know this. I know you love the word. And God has given us this as our source. There's no other book we can read that's going to help us as much as this. And David says to the Lord, he says, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my only source of hope. And that's found in Psalm 119. He's saying to God, you know, when I'm feeling troubled and I'm feeling stressed, I'm running to you, God. You're my refuge. And I want you to protect me. I'm going to hide behind you. You're my shield. I can't face this, God. I need hope, so I need to hear from you. Your word is my only source of hope. Paul also tells us that in a different way. Again, back to Romans. He says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? Have hope through the Word. I love it that God has written down for us the stories. We look at people like Abraham, Moses, um, Joshua, those kind of people. Don't we look at them as heroes? Heroes of the faith, right? They accomplished great things for God. But you know what I love about God? When he writes their story, he lets us know how human they are. He shows us when they doubt God, when they don't have enough faith, when they fail him, they just totally don't do what he said to do. He shows us how real they are. Now, to me, that's comforting because I know that I, yeah, I'm sure that I offend God every day by something I think or say or do. Yeah, how can God use me? I fail him every day. But just like he used the people in the past, he said he wrote down these stories for us, their life story, so that we could learn from them and we could be encouraged by them. And through the word, again, God will give us hope. So let's look at Abraham's story. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Now, Abraham's story is found in Genesis. And last night I sat down and reread that story. So if you're bored this afternoon and want something good to read, go to Genesis 12 and just start reading maybe through chapter 18, 19, and look at all that Abraham went through and see how human he was and how God just kept Kept pushing him, kept using him, kept blessing him. So I want to start reading to you in Romans chapter 4 from verse 16. The first few verses are really just for us. Listen, he says, The promise is received by faith, it is given as a free gift, and we're all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. I'm going to stop right there because that is such good news. This promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift. It's not given to people who are perfect, who obey the law of Moses, but those people who have the faith that Abraham had. Free gift. We don't have to work for it. That is good news. Going on in verse 17, and I am reading from New Living. It says, this is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father to many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. She was 90. Okay, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God, He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And let me say that again. I read it wrong. He was fully convinced that God is able, present tense, God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous, not because of what Abraham did, was he righteous, but because of Abraham's faith. Isn't that encouraging? So we see in Abraham's life that even when there was no human reason for hope, what did Abraham do? He kept hoping. Now, you know his story. He, he and Sarah have not been able to conceive, and he's 100 and she's 90, and God says, you're going to be the father to many nations. It says Abraham just believed him. Now, what kind of faith is that? If I were Sarah, I'd say, really? Come on, Abraham. And you know what Sarah did when he told her? She laughed. That tells you her faith maybe wasn't quite the same as his. I think it'd be interesting to hear their conversations in their home. Because I know I know some women that go through pregnancy just, you know, just fly right through it with no problems me when I was pregnant I was an emotional wreck like up and down and up and down so I can just imagine uh, I could just imagine Sarah and she's having morning sickness and her emotions are all over the place and Abraham's saying I'm not wavering. I believe God. This is going to happen. I am fully convinced. God is, and I would, if I were there, I'd say, "You go ahead." <laughs> you know, I'm not there yet uh, because my feelings would be overcoming uh, what was going on. And I thought of this statement. I remember hearing it clear back in college. So I love the internet that I can just Google a few words, and I found it. This is by Martin Luther clear back in the 1500s. He said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Have you ever believed your feelings? I'm pretty sure most of us do that without even thinking about it. Like that's our natural tendency. And I told you, I, I went through, um, I actually think I probably lived in depression A good part of seven years when I, in my early 20s, I had an illness. And I'm praying, God, heal me, heal me. And he wasn't healing me. And I end up in the hospital over and over. I hadn't been a Christian very long. And my feelings told me, God must be mad at me. He doesn't love me. He's not listening to me. He's not answering my prayers. That's what my feelings told me. My feelings are deceiving. We can't judge God and make proper judgments about God based on our feelings. It'll never work. That's why we need the truth of God. The truth of God is he did love me. He was with me. He was teaching me so much about what it means to walk with him during those dark years. So do you remember back in March when we had the stay-at-home order? And I remember I was watching a newscaster, and he was talking about the rate of depression and, unfortunately, suicide seemed to be skyrocketing. Now, that was back in March, and I can't imagine it's gotten any better. But he said this statement. He said, a sense of helplessness leads to hopelessness. And I thought, I get that. When I've been in situations that I cannot figure out how to get out of this, I'm in a tunnel, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I can't find my way out, that sense of helplessness takes me down a path to hopelessness. But we, as God's people, don't ever need to live there because God says to us, I will never leave you. It doesn't matter how dark it is. The dark is not dark to God. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, what stands out to me is several things in this, but I want to say today, if helplessness leads to hopelessness, who is our help? Who can we count on to help us? Got it? The almighty, everlasting, creator God, the God with unlimited power, unlimited wisdom, and so much love for us that we can't even comprehend it, that God says, I am your helper. Now, the word for helper in the Hebrew is great. It's... Ezer, and it means, or Azer, yeah, something like that. I have never studied Hebrew. I love my Hebrew lexicon because a Hebrew word, there's not just one word in English for us to translate it to to get a full picture. The Hebrew language is very descriptive. So in Hebrew, the word for help means to surround, to protect to give support to, it's like God comes alongside us. He sees how helpless and weak we are, and he comes alongside us to help us and to support us. Um, Another way that my Hebrew lexicon said, it's someone who runs to the aid of one who's in difficulty or distress to give support and to assist them in their suffering. You know, that made me think of Deuteronomy 33. Um, And I just thought of this this morning. I love this verse. There is no one like the God of Israel. He rides through the heavens to help you. Can you picture that? He, rises. he says, ah, my loved one needs help. I'm riding through the heavens. I'm running to their aid to help them. The eternal God is our refuge. That's where we run to when we're in trouble. And his everlasting arms are under us, holding us up, surrounding us, protecting us. That's the God who is our help. So the first thing I... I learned, I feel like God taught me through those seven years of depression, is I needed God's word every day. Like I talked last time when Jesus said, We can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I needed God's word every day. And when I would read, I would, after I'd read that passage, I would pick out one verse. Like, what do I need to think about today? I write it on a file card, and I carry it with me all day. I might leave it on my kitchen sink or, or in my bathroom, but I would take it with me. And when I had a free moment, I'd go back to that verse. I needed God's word, and I needed to memorize it. I am so grateful that as a young Christian, the person that discipled me said, you have to memorize two scripture a week. I am so grateful for that. The word of God memorized is the tool in your heart that's ready. Whenever you face something that you think, I can't do this, that word just comes to life. If you've hidden it in your heart, you have it memorized, it's right there to help you. So I want to encourage you, get a word from God every day. Think about it during the day. When you have a break, go back to that word and think about it. And do your best to memorize those words that you know you need. That's one way to get a hold of the promises. Find a promise, meditate on it, and memorize it. So I want to share with you just now three verses that God really spoke to me. And I just want to give you a little bit of the background of times when I was totally helpless and God told me, he is my help. And this first one comes clear back um, 22 years ago when Bill was diagnosed with cancer, My first husband was diagnosed with cancer, he was 40, and he, I remember us sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor saying, you know, I'm really surprised by all your tests, but you have stage four malignant melanoma. Then he went on to say, now stage four means it's already in your organs, it's in your liver and your lungs. And melanoma is extremely aggressive. And the third thing, well, we don't really have a prescribed treatment that we know works for melanoma. I thought, you know, he's not giving us much hope, is he? But earlier in the week, God had get, this was a verse on my index card, one of my index cards, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Now, when you have no other options, when you're looking at the doctor and he says, I really don't know what to tell you. He started explaining several different chemo treatments. And he basically, he explained three of them, said, what they the percentage this one worked for five percent of the people and here were the side effects you know he just basically said to bill you can choose i don't know what works when a doctor gives you no option and when there's no medical um, drugs or anything to count on what did i have to count on <laughs> My hope had to be in God alone. And, you know, now I look at that and think that was a great lesson. Because so often, when I find myself in a situation I don't like, I hunt for the solution. I'm getting out of here. I can fix this somehow. But when you're told there's no hope, you have to rely on God alone. And so often I prayed this prayer, let your unfailing love surround us. Oh, Lord. Lord. I had three teenagers, let your unfailing love surround them, let them see and know and experience. And Bill survived that 18 months. The doctor said six months, God was gracious. And through that 18 month journey, we saw God's unfailing love in incredible ways. I love to tell that story, but it was an answer to that prayer. I grabbed hold of that. I said, I need that and made it my prayer. Give it back to God. Now, this is something I learned from Charles Spurgeon. If you listen to me teach, you know that I refer to Charles Spurgeon a lot. And just so you know who Charles Spurgeon is, he died a long time ago. Like, he was a pastor in the 1800s in London. He's my best counselor. (laughs) I love his commentaries. But he talks about the promises of God like a check. Suppose you're in need, and a friend says to you, how much do you need? And you say, well, I need $1,000, and they just sit right down. They put your name on a check. They write it out for $1,000 and go, here, take it. Now, what good is it going to do if you leave that check laying on your desk? I mean, you can walk by it and look at it every day, and there it is. But is it benefiting you? No. What do we have to do? We have to take the check to the bank and cash it, right? So Spurgeon's analogy is, that's what God's promises are. In here, God has told us what he wants for us. And he says, bring this promise to me. Say, God, do what you said you would do. Cash it in. Talk to him about it. Pray it. Make it your prayer. That's how we cash in on God's promises. The next one is really special to me. I remember then, it wasn't long, and... I ended up taking Bill to ER on a Saturday night, about 11 o'clock, to research hospital. And I don't know if you've ever been in an ER room at Saturday night at 11 o'clock, downtown, (laughs) at research. I was a little scared. The ER room was full, and I was seeing things I hadn't prepared for. I was trembling. Actually, I was trembling. And those are the days before cell phones. So I had a little uh, Bible that I kept in my purse so that wherever I was, if I needed a word from God, I, I had it with me, right? So I pulled out my Bible while we're waiting, and my eyes fell to Isaiah 41, 13, and this word is like when I opened the word and it fell open to this, my eyes fell on this verse, it was like God stepped into my space and he said, listen to me, Barb, I am holding you by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid, I am here to help you. Now, at that point, there is absolutely nothing anybody could have said that would have helped me more than that. When God speaks a word to our heart, you know, He don't you love it when he does that? Like, he knows specifically what you need. He has everything we need in here. We just need to say, okay, God, that's your promise. I could picture him holding my hand, and I... And I calmed down, right? He said, don't be afraid, I'm here. I'm here to help you. Well, this next one, Psalm 46, 1 and 2, I just picked out three verses that talk about help. Do you know anything you need suppose you need peace you need hope you need help you need strength you need wisdom I love it that now we live with Google isn't Google incredible um used to be I have to have a Strong's concordance now I just go to Google and say God's word about help God's word for joy you know and there you can find uh, a list, there'll be different lists you can find. So I just picked out three for help. When I need help, I find, a, I find a scripture, I write it on my index card, I memorize it, meditate it, and pray it. That is how God has helped me fight my natural tendency to be depressed, overcome my feelings with the truth of God's word. So this one, Psalm 46, 1 and 2, I love the picture of this. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And the psalmist goes on to say, we're not going to fear when the mountains crash into the sea and when the earth breaks open. I mean, like he's picturing that worst imaginable thing he can think of, the scariest thing he can think of. And saying, we don't need to fear because God is ever present, always available, right with us in our trouble. What a beautiful picture. And he made that very real to me. As It's just been one year since Rick got to go home to heaven. But this was Rick's favorite verse. And there were days he had a heart attack, and then for two weeks he was unconscious as machines tried to keep him alive. And it was in a Buddhist hospital. When I go to a Buddhist hospital, before I can get back to see my husband in ICU, I have to go through this little room with the Buddhist monks where they want to pray for you and want you to worship with them. And I dreaded that every time. I, You know, most of them didn't speak English. I didn't want to worship Buddha. I didn't want them to pray for me. And I would hear their chanting, and I would see the despair on other people's faces as they're dealing with their own family back there. It was some days I thought, I can't do this, God. And God said to me, I am your ever-present help in time of trouble. And I would... You know, just dread going. But once I got back to where Rick was and that place, there was no oppression there. I would read to him from, his, from God's word. My friends and I would sing hymns of praise to God. I would have this inner strength just well up within me. Like, this is a, this is a beautiful place. In this place, in this Buddhist hospital, we can worship God. God is ever-present here in a powerful way. Therefore, I know I don't need to fear, even if the worst imaginable thing happens to me. I don't know, what is your worst imaginable thing? Do you think about that? (laughs) Hopefully you don't. But as we face so much uncertainty um, at this time, these are promises that we can hold on to and cash in and trust God will do what he says he will do, we can confidently expect him to do that. So let me close with my New Year's verse. I'm reading the Bible on New Year's Day and God speaks to me from Proverbs. He says, the hope of the righteous is joy. Now the word for hope also means expectation. You know if you're really putting your hope in God if you're expecting him to show up. You know, you're really counting on God to speak to you if you're expecting him to do that. Take it the next level. That helps me. Like, I'm not going to just say I hope I am in God. I'm going to start looking for him. I expect him. And the hope of the righteous is what? It's joy. Now, I've been in, naturally, a season of grief. And do you know what Paul says? He says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Those two things don't seem to go together. Like, isn't that an oxymoron? But God has done that in my heart. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Because God is my hope. And I can expect him to give me joy. Now, this joy is not based on my circumstances. At this point, I'm in the dark I'm not where I thought I would be. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be. But I have joy because I know even if I can't see ahead, he can. And he says, I can expect him to give me joy. Not because I'm perfect. I am righteous in his eyes because of Jesus Christ. And so are you. So I hope today that you will have a, Uh, God God just spoke a word to you that gave you hope and that infused your heart with strength for whatever you're facing. And let's be a church who encourages each other. Building hope in Harrisonville, let's do it also by building hope with each other. If you see somebody struggling this week, offer to pray for them and tell them what you're praying for them and give them a promise from God and pray that with them. That's your assignment. Okay. find somebody who's struggling and encourage them today let's build up each other's faith God knows that we need each other to do that All Right? let's pray oh God how good you are the natural mind cannot even understand or conceive these words that you've just said to us, that we can have joy in the midst of uncertainty. We can have strength for those things we look at and say, that's humanly impossible. I can't do that. And it's not at all based on who we are. It's totally and fully because of your grace and your mercy extended to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Savior, our Deliverer, the friend who walks beside us and holds our hand. God, you know who is listening right now, who is feeling hopeless. So, God, would you do the miracle with your word? Would you speak to them in a specific way that they need to hear? that infuses their heart with hope. We can't live without hope. You know it. That's why your word is so full of hope. Thank you for loving us so much that you wrote it down, that we can find it anytime we want to. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much for loving us, for being our helper. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we thank you that we can bring this request to you, knowing that you hear us and knowing that we can expect you to answer us. Amen.